It's a privilege to, to be here. So uh, Jack is taking a break for the month of February. For those who missed that, uh, Justin taught last week. I get to t teach this week and the next week, um, provided all goes well. Um, and we're continuing our series on the priority of church in the life of a Christian. Last week, um, well, this week, I'm going to zero in. Let's see if this works. Yeah on the priority of preserving unity within the church. So recap from last week, Justin talked about um, the prioritizing relationships in the church through service, through self-sacrifice, and through submission to God. That's not about you or me, God is the head ultimately, and that's a big one, and, and there's some overlap with that today as well. So priority of preserving unity within the church. Um, I gotta start off since it's Super Bowl Sunday with a football analogy for y'all. So a guy named Jim Marshall, who played, def played defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings way back in the 60s. This guy, Jim, he got the infamous nickname as Wrong Way Jim, and a game played against the 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers, when there was a fumble on the field and he valiantly scooped it up and you see him look up to the goalpost and he just takes off running, like doesn't look back, runs confidently 66 yards in the wrong direction and scores a safety for the other team. And so he, I, I saw the video, it's like the old clip. He like walks in, and he throws the ball in the air and he slowly turns around to his teammates who are like, oh my, what are you doing? And one of the 49ers players walks up to him and pats him on the back like, thanks a lot, Jim. <laughs> um, and so my hope, my hope is that as a church, we avoid confidently running in the wrong direction because when unity is not a priority, we can easily get turned around and we can be going off in the wrong direction on our own. So if last week's sermon was emphasized that, that the church is a team sport, this, this sermon is gonna emphasize that the church is a full contact sport. Otherwise, I mean, you know, unless you run in the other direction, then it's pretty easy. Um, so, my anchor text is going to be Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And it says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, and this is Paul speaking, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So that's the key right there. And you see Paul's urgency. I implore, I, I urge, you, urge you. It's almost like he's begging them that they are eager or diligent to preserve this unity of the spirit, it's not our own, of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so today what I want to do is, as we 
hopefully orient us in the right direction here, I want to answer two questions. And that is, why is unity in the church a priority? Why, why is this a big deal for Paul? And why should it be a big deal for us? Why should it be of such importance? And then the second is, how do we pursue preserving it? So like, what is it, how do we do this, okay? How do we be diligent in preserving this unity? And I'm gonna camp out in the book of Ephesians primarily, um, because, man, as I studied this book, it is incredible how big of an emphasis on that we are together in this. He uses the family, the body, that we are building blocks together. He uses army, military languages, and all of this is driving that, that we are not independent. That, the book of Ephesians is just ripe with wisdom on what it looks like to be united and preserve the unity. So first, let's look at why is unity and the church a priority? And for this, we're gonna glean from Ephesians one through three, one through two, a little bit of three, um, and the rest of the Bible, we'll just read through the whole thing. No, just kidding. Um, we'll be gleaning here. So, uh, so first, because, the first reason is because unity was purchased for us by Christ's blood, and it is infinitely and eternally precious. The unity that we share is precious to God. Ephesians 1 through 2 is just over and over again, Paul is reiterating to the church of Ephesus who we are, that we are given a belonging, that we're given a place, that Ephesians 1.5, in love he predestined us to adoption. We are brought into his family, not in our own strength, it is his work. And then chapter two, he reminds us over and over, remember you were once dead, separated, excluded, cut off from the blessing, and now, through Christ, it's, it's like Jesus is the doorway that has brought us in to be in fellowship with him, but in fellowship with one another. I mean, one of the things I, I didn't notice in Ephesians until I was studying this is the emphasis, not just, you know, Ephesians 2, it's like, you know the verse, by grace you've been saved through faith, yet not of yourself it is a gift of God um, that no one can boast. And, and so I kind of was like, that's good. We should internalize that. But he continues to make the point that God has done this for all the saints and that we all share the same spirit. We are all sealed with this spirit. And that's what unites us. And so... This should be precious to us. It's meant to be shared, and I believe it's meant to be shared in a local church community context. We'll get more to that later. Um, I mean, he unites the whole global church, but there are little microcosms of what the kingdom is supposed to be like in and the local church. And I think that's where the rubber hits the road. That's what I mean by that. So, so first reason is because why do we preserve it? Why, do we, why is unity important? That's the question. Why is unity important? It's because it's precious. It's bought with the price. And then secondly, why it's important because 
This unity is the means to accomplishing God's mission. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Let's look at, and there's a lot of verses that you could look at for this. But Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, Paul is making the case that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what he means by that is the work that God did to, to bring people together, to bring together particularly what, what Paul is talking about, he brings together the Jew and he brings together the Gentile, two radically different people groups that had extremely different customs and everything by Christ, he's brought them together and now they can accomplish his mission and part of the mission is the fact that they are united. And what, what he means by the full, that, uh, that uh, God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, the, the, church is, the church is the manifold wisdom of God. So basically the church reveals the full extent of God's wisdom because of all the differences that God brings together and unites. So, side story, or story on this. I lead every quarter or so a Bible study that Tree of Life actually puts on and it's called Daybreak. And it's for seniors uh, in the community um, and it's for people from different churches and, and we come and um, I get to lead, the, I don't lead it every week, but occasionally I get to lead it and I love leading it because just it's such a diverse group of people. All of them are more experienced than I am, but all of them come from these different backgrounds and have just rich stories and differences, but all of them are seeking God and pursuing to grow, continue to grow in their faith. And one of the things I like to do when I lead it is I like to ask, when we study the text, but I like to ask questions to, to hopefully draw out, like, I want to hear their stories. I want to hear, like, what are their experiences? And, and, and just to see how God has shaped these different stories. And it's just a huge pleasure to me and really encouraging. By the way, it's Thursdays, late morning, if you're interested, um, in the church. Um, so uh, if you came to it, though, it would seem pretty plain but when you think about what God is doing in eternal souls here, bringing us together, there's a sacredness to gathering. There's a sacredness to gathering of different people together under one God. And the same could be said about life groups. The same could be said about Sunday morning, us together. We are such a different and diverse group of people and yet we're all under Christ pursuing him. And it's what he's done. It's what God has done. And I think it just, it brings, it makes gathering a really big deal. And my hope is that we begin to switch our mindset from how can I bring glory to God? We should ask that question probably. But maybe we should switch our mindset more to how can we bring glory to God? What would it look like for us in, in our community to bring glory to God, to have this we mentality as opposed to a me 
mentality. Um, so, tying back to the football analogy, if I may, if we think that the kingdom of God and pursuing God is all about me and what I can accomplish for God, man, if, if we're self-centered like that, we're, we're gonna be like wrong way Jim, confidently running toward the wrong goalpost. And you know what? It'll be easier probably. It'll be easier to not have to deal with people. Like, no one's going to tackle you. Like, yep, the enemy's going to be like, mm, okay, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Thanks, thanks a lot, Jim. You know, like, no. Man, let's get out of the me mentality and put on the we. How can we? And that means it's a full, con like, we're going to have problems and we're going to have to work through, which brings to um, the how. If I can, yeah. The how do we preserve it? So first, I'm just diving right in here. First, let love and truth motivate confrontation. I'll, I'll throw on when needed. You know, we don't need to just be like confronting everyone whenever we get, and that goes back to the humility, gentleness, love, tolerance, all those things. But my point is leaning in to and, and not shying away from challenges. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so what Paul is driving at in the context here is it the verses ahead of this, he's talking about how we're, we're meant to put off our old self. We're meant to be pursuing maturity in community. We're supposed to be refining one another. And we've all been saved by grace. We're all working toward putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And so he's like, therefore, don't wear the mask anymore. Like put off the falsehood, the pretense and, and let's just speak the truth to one another. And that might hurt at, at times with love and gentleness, but there is also a truth that we're trying to uphold because the truth is good and beautiful and it's loving to speak the truth. For we are members of one another, one of another. So another example for you, even... Paul and Barnabas had a hard time with this whole unity thing. So I'm not saying that unity means everything, okay, well, we're united in Christ, so everything should be easy. No, even Paul and Barnabas struggle with this. If you look back in the book of Acts 15, where Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement about the mission that they actually split ways. And so a lot could be said, was that right? Was that wrong? I don't know. That's maybe another sermon for another day. But eventually we know that God brought them back together. So in a later epistle, Paul writes about the instance, not about the instance, but he invites John Mark, who is what they disagreed about, to, to come and be a help to him. So the trust is regained, the mission and the unity continues. And, and so 
my sub point under here is sometimes there are gonna be there are there are gonna be hard things that we can't agree on. But first, let's be let's like persist in pursuing one another and let's not just split right away. And even if we do have to split, let's continue to build the relationship and God can use it. Um, ultimately, God can use even broken people to accomplish his mission. And the Holy Spirit is equally as passionate about making disciples as he is about staying united in it. So, um, another example I have up there is Galatians 2, 11 through 13, where Paul also confronts Peter only this time he initiates conflict. He initiates the confrontation to preserve a greater unity. You see, Peter was treating this church with love and, and just hanging out with them, the Gentile people, and doing all the right things. And then these zealous religious Jewish people came, the judgmental type, who Peter, I guess, looked up to, and they came in and Peter immediately changed his tune and was like, ooh, I'm not gonna hang out with those people because I'm, I'm afraid I might be judged by these Jewish people who just came in. And so P Peter was acting as a leader, he was acting in a way that undermined the mission and also the unity that we've had and gained in Christ. And so Paul had to confront him and call him out. So unity, again, I think we have this misconception that uniformity, it's just like, just, just affirm and accept and just let's get along here. But no, real unity goes deep. Real unity leans in, in love and in truth to confront matters. Like that's how we are really gonna diligently preserve the longevity of God's unity that he's given us. Does that make sense? So, all of this, back to our anchor text, all of this is done as we walk also in humility, gentleness, with patience, and tolerance and love toward one another. So, just as urgently as he implored us to be diligent to preserve unity, he urgently employs, implores us to be humble gentle, patient with tolerance, and in love. All this is in love for one another and for him. In the same way, Bree and I, we exchange vows at our wedding. We promised each other um, to love each other and all those things, which we do. Um, but that, that wasn't a guarantee that we weren't gonna have problems. Our love doesn't guarantee that we're not gonna address issues. We're not gonna, we're gonna avoid all hard conversations. Man, no, like quite the opposite. Like if you love someone, if you're committed to someone, you're, you're, you're gonna lovingly address things, not in a way of making your way right or whatever, but I mean, you guys, those of, who are married or those who have any really strong relationship, you know these can be hard and long conversations that don't get necessarily resolved in an instance. But that 
man, we got to continue to lean in and not retreat. Amen? Okay, so second, how do we diligently preserve the unity given is, and so this one, submit to God. So this is kind of maybe seem, well, this is huge, I'll just say. So I wrestled with this point. You know, you could go a lot of different, but I decided to go big here. (laughs) So in the spirit of Ephesians 1 through 3, it was all God's work to bring us together. And part of protecting the unity that he's done is ultimately submitting to him and what he has done, the work that he has done to unite us. So James 4.1 says, what is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? Is it not the source? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So the source of these contentions and these conflicts and these fights, James is building the case that the reason we fight is our vain attempts to gain glory from this world. Our vain attempts to gain glory from status, from, from what the world has to offer us. And that is, a, again, a vain attempt because the world offers and pro- can promise everything, but in the end delivers nothing. And we can, in the church, and okay, I don't see this in this church, but it's heartbreaking to see that even within church ministries, people trying to leverage the church platform as a means to to gain glory for themselves. May we not get tangled in the enemy's crafty webs of seeking self-glorification. May we boast only in God. James continues in six through seven, he says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we're submitted to God, when we're truly not seeking to gain our own glorification, it's not about us, it's about him, and submitted to him, the devil can't get a foothold. He can't get a foothold in what the church is doing. When we're all as members submitted under God, the devil cannot get a foothold. And let me tell you, when we're doing that, that drives them crazy. It does because that is what brings the most glory to God. It it magnifies his manifold wisdom. So the last bullet here. So that was, so how do we, how do we do this? We let love and truth motivate confrontation. We diligently preserve unity by submitting to God. And then we submit by, we preserve by submitting to the leaders God has placed in the local church. So I'm going to read a passage This is maybe familiar to some. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who who will have to give an account. 
God is gonna hold them accountable. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the reason I bring this up as I kind of wrestled with what, what, is, what is the how here? The reason I bring this up is because all my points, they have to be lived in an actual context, right? Like, like we can talk all we want about unity and how we, how we love and how we're united and, and all this, but if we never come into the local community and then submit to the local leaders, the leaders that God has placed, then are we really submitting to God? If we're just, is it just talk? If we're just kind of floating around and saying, yeah, well, I'm submitted to God, I'm submitted to God, you know, but then never submitting ourselves to spiritual authority that God's placed? Like, are we really submitted to God? And so Blue Ridge is not the perfect place, our perfect church, but I do appreciate how we're structured. It is, I would say, okay, so, whoa, I should have run this by Jack probably, but, um, but primarily elder-led, but the congregation is also involved in electing the leaders, our elders and deacons, and also voting on the budget. And by the way, the Ridge class, they're gonna be studying church theology, ecclesiology, what is the church, um, in the next session if you're interested. Um, but I appreciate it. that God doesn't prescribe, here's how a church should be. This is how a church should be structured. But we take, we use wisdom to, okay, yeah, there should be some leadership. There needs to be some submitting to authority, like in real life. But also we have the congregation that's somewhat also involved in, in voting and electing and making sure that it's for their good. So, on a side, I get that this can be controversial for some. I get that there can be a lot of hurt from how church leadership has hurt in the past. And I think there is a time and a place to not just go along with submitting um, or to maybe leave a church. And that is a conversation that I'd love to have or Jack or... or um, but that's not what I'm trying to get at here. That's not what we're talking about. I do wanna acknowledge it, but if there's not a sin issue, or if like Paul, when he confronted Peter, if the leadership is not acting in a way that directly undermines the gospel, then we can and we, it's good, it's for our good to submit out of trust and submission to God. And so, let me put this, so our, I'll bring you guys into our bed time routine right now. We have um, five kids um, that are young um, and bedtime routine can be somewhat chaotic. And one of the things Bree and I try to emphasize as we're like giving instructions and kids are like not doing what we said, it's kind of like, it can be chaotic. Sometimes it goes nicely. A lot of times it's, it's not as um, easy. But one of the things Bree and I try to emphasize is, hey, we're, we're telling you to brush your teeth and brush your hair and do these things. It's for your good. 
This is, this is for you. Like, this is gonna benefit you. And, and yes, I didn't, I, I, couldn't, I didn't have time to explain all my reasons as far as why you should brush your teeth. But it's, can you just trust, can trust me? Like, it's for your good. Um, so we're not perfect parents. Like, and there are times where I will do things or give instructions that I'm like, ah, you know what? Gosh, that probably was not the best way of doing things. And, and I can have sin and act, you know, like I'm not perfect. But I come back to, okay, God, grow me in this. And I think in the same way, are our elders and deacons perfect? Are they going to handle every situation perfectly? Probably not. But I know that they're gonna seek God with humility, with gentleness, eager to preserve the unity and the bond of peace, just as we also all should be. All right, so recap. Why is unity in the church a priority? First, because this unity was purchased by Christ's blood. Because it is the means, it's what God uses. The unity is what God uses to magnify his glory and accomplish his mission. And then how, and you guys could probably come up with other reasons why, but how do we pursue preserving it? By letting love and truth motivate confrontation, leaning in by submitting to God and submitting to like the context of where God has you. We, we are meant to live this stuff out in, in this community um, or whatever community God has, has called you in. Um, so I'm gonna close, believe it or not. We're gonna wrap things up here. So football and family have supplied all the illustrations for today. We're continuing that kick and we're gonna have another family illustration, if I may. There's just so much to the family that correlates to unity in the church, believe it or not. Um, so we have, in our home, we have a scheduled nap or downtime. So typically we don't have monitors in the room, but kids have been sick, so we were like, okay, put the monitors in the room. And it was during the like afternoon nap time on a weekend, I was reading, I had the monitor downstairs and the boys were down there and they were just like having a really good conversation. And it, I don't remember what it was, but it was just like four and five year old kind of stuff. And I just was like, oh, they're bonding. Like, this is so good. And I just like had to stop my reading and just be like, thank you, God. <laughs> and part of it, part of my delight was because that doesn't happen all the time. So when it does, it's like, oh, yes, they're bonding. This is like my dream come true kind of thing. Um, and then in contrast to that, there have been times where I've heard bickering and arguing and outbursts and Brie or I have had to go down and kind of mediate the situation and walk them through, okay, like apologize and this process of, of, of at least a form of reconciliation among them. 
And then, you know, we go back and, but there was, the other day, this pattern of the bickering started. And there was an outburst of anger. And I stood up to start going down the stairs. But I paused at the top of the stairs because it was like, okay, the anger is not as intense. Do I go down? And I paused. Um, and I could hear a voice and of reason among them. I'm not giving any names on purpose. There was a voice of reason and equally as encouraging as just hearing them get along was in their own kid kind of way, them kind of walking through like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, like genuine, contrite apology and and like giving space and then eventually like them continuing to play. There wasn't like a perfect, you know, I forgive you and let's hug kind of situation. But, but they were able to, to, to walk through and, and make things right. And that equally brought me just so much like pleasure and joy that man, they're learning this. They're learning not only to just play well together, but when there's an issue, the wisdom of how do, we, how do we make things right? How do we, I took a toy or I'll knock down your, the magnet block things, the mega blocks or whatever they are. Um, how do I get, make it right? And I've seen this, I've seen this in the church as well. I've been so encouraged by the saints of Blue Ridge. I've been here my whole life. I grew up in this church. This is not a perfect church, but it has been such a blessing to be part of this church and to see God work through the saints and him to continue to work through the saints and, and faithful believers confronting issues, faithful believers calling out what is true. It's been an encouragement. And so my encouragement to you all is let's continue to diligently preserve the unity from the spirit in the bond of peace. So as the band comes up, or maybe the band's not gonna come up because I'm going long. Um, so I'm, I wanna just read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It says, it says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.